us tonight and go to Philippians chapter number three. And if you're able to tonight, let's stand for the word of God. Philippians chapter number three. I hope you've enjoyed this study as much as I have. I love the book of Philippians and I love the Christian life. And they, they just dovetailed together about finding joy in the journey. And I'll tell you, if you're saved tonight, you ought to have the joy of the Lord. And uh, it's, it is something that uh, we receive when the Lord moves in, and of course the Holy Spirit takes up residence in our lives. And uh, you have to keep things into context. It's hard sometimes for a preacher when he's going through a series to keep continuity and, and to try to keep uh, that, that steam all the way through a series. But you have to remember that this small book that really was a letter was Paul writing from prison. And uh, I just, I never get past that, that he's writing about having joy while he's sitting in jail. And uh, many of us, we're not in jail. And a lot of times we have a hard time talking about uh, things that are joyful. And I tell you, we have a lot to be thankful for, don't we? Yeah, I know there's crazies in this world. There always has been, there always will be. But I'll tell you this, you cannot let things or people rob you of your joy. You can't do it, folks. Uh, we, look, we're on the winning side, right? Amen. And we just need to keep the joy of the Lord. Tonight's message is right out of the text. Uh, Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse number 12. And so uh, let's do this tonight. Let's read responsibly. I'll read a verse and then you read a verse together. And then I'll read a verse, and then you read a verse. We'll read from verse 12 down to verse number 16. And so if you're ready, I'll, I'll begin with verse 12, and we'll go from there. The Bible says, Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus." I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And let's read verse number 16 together. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. And let's pray. Lord, thank you for the opportunity again to be here in your house. Lord, I pray that uh, all cell phones have been silent. Lord, that all the distractions of life are gone. Lord, that we would just be quiet and still for these next minutes. Lord, that we would focus and that we as the church in Philippi would be encouraged and we would be exhorted to press on. Certainly the cares of this life, things we face or we're going through even right now, tend to pull us down and, and really attempt to rob us of our joy. But Lord, I pray that we would be encouraged tonight. Thank you for those that have seen the importance of being here tonight. 
I pray for those that cannot be here, that you would meet with them. Bless our time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated tonight. We've been talking about this church, the church in Philippi. And when you think about the context here, we know that a church is not a building. The church is the people of God. Those that have a long life's way come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And this church, these people of God, are no different than us. They too had many difficulties. Remember a couple of weeks ago we talked about how that they were being persecuted by the government of the day which was under Roman rule. Uh, we saw that even in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, how many times government loves to oppress those who love God. Uh, my pastor out in California, they're trying to pass another wicked piece of legislation that goes against the church, goes against the principles of the Word of God. And can I tell you that the world and the government is never going to stop. They have an agenda, folks. And it's important that you and I see in our lives, if you don't already see, that guess what? We have an agenda too. And it's called the Word of God. We must be governed by the Word of God. And the church in Philippi, these Christians, their lives were being governed by the very Word of God, and because of that, they were being persecuted by the government. We also talked about a while back how that they were being attacked by, as the Word of God describes, by false teachers. Uh, there are many today that send an uncertain sound out, even from behind pulpits in churches. It's amazing some of the stuff that people tell me that they heard, and they heard it within the confines of a church house. Uh, there's a lot of people out there that are spreading all kinds of false teachings and there are many people because they are not discerning or they're not spiritually discerning that they're believing those lies. Uh, one of the biggest lies that have been being spread for many, many, many years is this matter of evolution, which is none other than something that the devil has come up with. Uh, there are many things out there that would have us to believe otherwise than the Word of God itself. And the church in Philippi was being attacked by these false teachers. That's part of the responsibility of a pastor is that God has put me here and he's given me oversight to make sure that there is not someone that comes into this church that tries to spread something that is false and is not true according to the Word of God. The church of Philippi was being attacked. They were being oppressed by the government. And if that were not enough, they were like many of us. They were very poor. <laughs> I mean, this was a church that really had been stricken by poverty and many standards. And, and again, a lot of times people measure uh, others by that very standard, how successful they are. But the amazing thing is, is that even in their poverty and even in their being attacked by the government and by these false teachers, that the Apostle Paul was encouraged. As a matter of fact, I really believe when you read the Word of God, I believe he was even surprised at the amount of support that these poor saints sent from uh, Philippi to the, the church 
that was in Jerusalem. Of course, the, even the church in Jerusalem, those dear saints were very impoverished. And the Bible says in Romans 15 and verse 26, For it hath pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia to have make a certain contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. Now, why is that significant? Because the church in Philippi was in Macedonia. It was in the eastern part of Macedonia. They were a part of that. You know, it's, it's amazing to me how oftentimes the givers of the people of God are the ones that don't have as much. I've seen that so many times in my life. We traveled a lot. We were in churches. We, we used to always tell churches, hey, listen, we'll come. We just want to be a blessing to you. We never ask for an offering. We never do. But what I saw many times on the average was I would come to a church that to me just looked like it was, it was meagerly getting by. Oh, don't get me wrong. God was taking care of them. But I'd see the offering. Again, we never asked for it. But on the way out, the preacher would say, hey, listen, uh, Brother Keely, we want to give this to the college. We want to give this to, the, to, to the, the, your church, your pastor, and we want to thank you for being a blessing. And I would look at that offering as we pulled away, and I would see the amount, and then my mind would go back to how we were in a larger church the week before that had all these things and had nice buildings and had this and had that, and oftentimes those larger churches had a smaller amount that they would give. Well, the church in Philippi was a church that, listen, by the world standards, they might have been poor, but they were rich in God. And folks, I'm going to tell you, don't hold on to the things of this world. Uh, put, your, put your faith and trust in the Lord instead of the mammon of this world. And here they were. They were a blessing to Paul. Paul was surprised at how much they gave to help those poor saints in Jerusalem. And, and so in spite of all their problems, and I know that if you're here tonight, you're probably dealing with something in your life. But with all of their problems, here's what Paul does. And you have to remember, Paul might have been the one God was using, but it was really God that was doing through Paul. He was just trying to exhort them and encourage them that in spite of whatever you're going through, just press on. Just press on. Just stay everlasting at it. Don't let something stop you. Look, it's easy to quit, is it not? And he says tonight to us also, Press on. Now look at, first of all, what he exhorts them to do. He begins with a foundation of honesty. You know, honesty is still the best policy. You know, we're living in a day where people are just not honest. I mean, do you grow weary sometimes of how, how untruthful people are and how shady people are that, that honesty doesn't matter much anymore? As a matter of fact, when you get around somebody that is honest, it's almost like, wow. I didn't know there was honest people in the world anymore. You know, from time to time, things happen. And, uh, you know, you, 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 I'll tell you, you want to surprise someone, it, it doesn't happen much. But, you know, sometimes you, you, might, you might see some money laying on the ground. You might see somebody drop some money accidentally. And you have two choices. Well, they never saw it. I'm going to pick it up and keep it. Or they didn't see it. I'm going to pick it up and give it to them. And you pick it up and hand it to them, and they're like, Wow, thanks. Because they're thinking, he could have kept that. Paul says, look, here's where I want to start. I want to 
I want to encourage you to have a foundation of honesty. Now remember what Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. So it all begins with the truth, this matter about being honest. Notice he makes a humble admission, a humble admission. Look in verse number 12 again. The Bible says here in, in chapter number 3 and verse number 12, not as though, now notice the pronoun I, Paul says, not as though I had already attained either or already perfect. Now do you see the honesty there? Paul says, hey, look, don't look at me. I'm not the example. Uh, you know, uh, don't pattern your life after me. I'm not the one to look to. He, he says here, he, he writes the word attained. The word attained means to receive what is given, to gain, to get. Paul is saying here, he says, I'm, I've not yet obtained full maturity. He says, I'm not perfect. And I tell people this all the time. When they come to our church, hey, I don't know what you're looking for in a church, but can I tell you, our church is not a perfect church. But then I usually say to them, there isn't a perfect church, there isn't a perfect pastor, there isn't a perfect Christian. Paul was just saying here, look, I haven't attained, I'm not there. He says, I, I'm not fully matured. He knew that he had not arrived. Peter one that, that was a man that knew this even in his own life, look what he writes in 1 Peter 5, 5. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with what? Be clothed with humility. He says, why? Because God resisteth the proud and he giveth more grace to the humble. And so I can tell you tonight, look here, none of us have arrived. Not one of us. We're all a work in progress, you know, every last one of us. Uh, every time I get around someone, and by the way, I have a full-time job just with me. I don't have to look at other people. I just need to know, God, what do you want me to do? What would you have me to be? How would you want me to live? And I just keep searching the word of God. But we need to understand that Paul says, look, you've got to have a foundation of honesty. And that foundation of honesty begins with this matter of humility. And it takes humility to admit that we still need to grow and pursue full maturity in our Christian life. It really does. I mean, I get around some people and, you know, I, I, I know I'm a pastor, but I wish I had all the answers, but guess what? I don't. People ask me stuff all the time. And, uh, you know, I had a man ask me the other day, matter of fact, one of the verses I used this morning, the Bible says with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and, and somebody asked me, they said, now, is that the voice of God or is that the voice of the archangel? I said, I wish I knew the answer to that. I said, but the way I read the scripture, a literal uh, explanation of that would be, it's the voice of the archangel. That's the way I look at it. I said, now, I might be wrong. I said, maybe we could take that up in heaven someday. But just look, folks, just humbly, I have to just admit, I don't know it all. I don't have all the answers, but I know a place we can go to find those answers. God's given us his word, and God has given us his Holy Spirit, but we have to start, just like every other sinner, we've got to start at the place of admission. 
Do you know that's a good place for any of us to start? Is that we all have problems, but until we admit we need help, until we admit that we do not know because we still need to grow, it's like Winston Churchill, he was once asked, he says, doesn't it thrill you to know that every time that you make a speech publicly, the hall is packed to overflowing? It's quite flattering, said Winston, but whenever I feel that way, I always remember that if instead of making a political speech, I was being hanged, the crowd would be twice as big. That's a pretty humble way to look at it. You know, sometimes people say, boy, you know, God's been blessed and the church house is filling up. Can I tell you that it has nothing to do with me? That has everything to do with God? It's an exciting thing. Brother Webster just said on Wednesday, he says, boy, pastor, he said it was awesome to see the church house almost full on Sunday. That was his last Sunday that he spent with us. Listen, I think we ought to be excited. You know why? Because when the house is full, more people are hearing the word of God. And that ought to be our desire. Now, Paul uses another word here. He writes and uses the word perfect. If you go back again to verse number 12, the Bible says, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect. Now, the word there is the word teleo. Uh, if you look at that word and you go back to when Jesus, and it, it, this, this is yet another tense of that very same word, when Jesus hung on the cross and said, it is finished, that wasn't the word teleo, that was the word tetelestai. It's another tense of that very same word. And it's interesting because the word teleo means to make complete, to accomplish, to finish, to bring to an end. How many of you think that when Jesus said that on the cross, that he was talking about salvation plan, it was complete, that it was brought to an end, that nothing more has to be done in order for somebody to be saved? How many of you agree with that tonight? See, Jesus said, I've done it all. If you add anything to what Jesus did, then what you've done is you've made everything he did of none effect. So here's what I see tonight. Paul says, look, I'm not complete. He says, I, I'm not there. I haven't finished my course. But he says, I'll tell you, by the grace of God, I'm going to finish my course with joy. <laughs> that's, that's my last verse, Acts 20, 24, that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry that I've received of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is the truth in my life is not only with her, but with the joy of the Lord. I want to finish my race. I hope you do too. I hope you really do. Not with my joy, but with your own joy, all right? So look here, is that he, he makes a humble admission, but then notice under this foundation of honesty, he spoke secondly about it being a holy quest, what he was a part of. It was something that was of God. And Paul understood that after he had been gloriously saved. Go back to verse number 12. Look what it says again. He says, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but, notice, I, I, I'm not there. I haven't arrived. I haven't completed things. I've still got some things in my life. But then notice the word, but. He says, I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but 
this one thing I do. Don't you love the Word of God? Paul doesn't say here, these many things I do. Paul doesn't say, I'm dabbling in this and dabbling in this and I'm hoping to do okay in this. Paul's got all his eggs in one basket. And here's what he says. Look at verse 13. He says, but this one thing that I do, forgetting those things which are what? Behind. And reaching forth unto those things which are what? Before. I hope you see it tonight. He's talking about this matter of it's a holy quest. This is something that God put in his heart, that God was moving him by his spirit. And you can see the determination in Paul's writings here and in his heart that he was determined that he was going to press forward. Hey, by the way, what's the opposite of going forward? That's right. God doesn't want us to retreat. God wants us to move forward in our Christian life. Notice the two words that he uses, follow after. He says that I might follow after. Now listen to these words. I love, I love to understand the word of God. And by the way, when I define something, it's not because I've been to Bible college. It's because I've gotten into the word of God. I've dug in the word of God. Can I tell you, you can do the same exact thing. Now look at what it says here. He says that I might follow after. I love the words because here's what they deal with. It is to run swiftly. Swiftly. You ever see some people running around town? You ever see that? Anybody ever see? Not run over them. Do you ever see them running? And some people, when they're running, they're, they're, they, they kind of look like they're in slow motion. You know? And then you see other people. I mean, they are running. Now, this body wasn't made to run. But some people that I see, don't be laughing. Some people I see, they really are out there and they're going at it. They're running swiftly. Hey, listen, they get to where they're going much faster than somebody that's not running swiftly. But look at the words. They run swiftly in order to catch a person or thing, to run after, to press on. In this particular place, in Philippians 3, it is used figuratively of one who is running a race swiftly to reach that goal. In other words, listen, there are a lot of people that run. Every one of us, whether you're physically doing it or not, we're all running our race. By the way, it's your race. It's not my race. I'm running my own race. And guess what? I'm not running my race against you, and you're not running your race against me. We're not here to compare ourselves. But I will tell you this, and this is what we need to get a hold of, is some just run. Paul wasn't just running. He was following after. Now, maybe you didn't get it because I said it a minute ago. When he says that he was following after, he was running swiftly to reach his goal. Paul says, look, I've got to get there. He says, I've got to do. You can see the determination in Paul's heart to press forward. You can also see how determined he was to be just like Jesus. Hey, I think that's a good quality for a Christian, right? To be like Christ. Look at the word that he uses here, the word apprehend. It means to lay hold on so as to make one's own. It means to obtain something to uh, attain to, 
to appropriate. What does the Bible tell us when you think about this matter of, of becoming more like Christ? And that's the goal of the Christian life, folks, is to be like Jesus, to be conformed to the image of his own dear son. And look what the Bible says in Ephesians 4 and verse 13. Till we all come into the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man. Now the word is talking again about maturity. He says until we come unto the stature of uh, of the fullness of Christ that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men, the cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Paul says, look, there are a lot of folks out there that are false teachers that are telling things that are just not true about Jesus. But I'm going to tell you something. The goal of my life is to come unto the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Jesus Christ. I want to be more like him. I hope that's the goal of your life, to be like Jesus. See, Paul was determined to press forward. He was determined to be like Christ. Notice, he was also determined to move beyond past failures. Anybody else had any failures in the past? (laughs) Wow. I mean, if I could, I mean, you think about all the things in the past. How many mistakes that I've made. But can I tell you, as it's put so simply, the past is in the past. I can't go back and change it. When you think about what Paul's talking here, he's talking about this matter of of the Christian life and how he wanted to move beyond that. See, the longer that Paul lived the Christian life, and I don't know how many years you've been saved now, but for me, it's, it's almost going 33, going on 34 years And the longer that I live the Christian life, just like Paul, the less I think of myself. But I'll tell you this, just like Paul, the closer that he grew to Jesus, the more that he spent time in the Word of God, the more he saw himself for who he really was. You know, when you look in the mirror, the mirror will tell you the truth, will it not? The mirror shows you all the imperfections. Shows you things you don't really want to see. I've never, the other day we were watching the news and our great commander in chief who's trying to make America great was on. My wife says, does he wear makeup? I said, probably does. He needs to, somebody needs to tell him he needs to quit tanning or at least take his glasses off or something. He looks ridiculous. But folks, listen, Paul was thinking about who he really was. Matter of fact, you can find it in the Word of God. Look at some of these places that he really brings to light and God allows him to bring to life. And you can see the honesty in Paul as he's writing to Christians. Listen, Paul knew who he really was. Look at some examples in 1 Corinthians 15, 9. He says here, for I am the least of the apostles. He says, I'm just just a, a nothing among the apostles. I'm the least of them. 
He says that I might not, I'm not me to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. If there's anybody that, that really honestly doesn't belong in this group of people, and by the way, Paul didn't put himself there, God did. But Paul says, I'm the least of them. That's the way he thought of himself. During Paul's first imprisonment, listen to what he said there. I am the least, I am less than the least of all saints. He took it a step further. It wasn't just the apostles. He says, I'm on the bottom rung of all the Christians. But it didn't end there. Because as Paul then again had another opportunity, he talked about the end of his life as he was writing to Timothy, and he said there that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, he says, of whom I am chief. He says, I am the worst sinner that's ever been born. Can you see the honesty in Paul's writings? The humility? Paul says, look, this is my past. Now, folks, listen, honestly, if you sit there and dwell on the past, it doesn't take you long to get real depressed. Paul says, listen, I'm the least of the apostles. I'm, I'm, I'm the least of all the saints. He says, I am the chiefest of sinners. But when you look at Paul's life, Paul, just like every one of us, he had to come to the place where he, he, he needed to let the past go. He needed to let those failures of the past. He needed to let maybe some of those unreached goals that he had when he was a, a persecutor, when he was a Pharisee. He had to let go the guilt over past sin and if he let it go, then he would be released to be able to move forward. But, you know, that's why so many people struggle to move forward. It's because they just can't let the past go. I hear people all the time talk about, well, I used to do this. I used to be a part of that. Folks, again, the past is in the past. Paul says, I press toward. I'm not going backwards. You've got to see in your life that you cannot change the past, but you can let it go so that you can live for God now. Somebody said, don't ruin your future by living in your past. Sometimes we see, and because of television, sports, all different kinds of things, you see sometimes some, some outstanding figures, and you think about how great they are. And uh, the other day we were talking, and I'm not a... I'm not a big NBA person, but, you know, the championships are on now, and, and uh, there's just some players that are playing that, to be honest with you, I just I don't care for them because I feel like they're just not team players. Now, that doesn't mean they're not good, and they're definitely better than I'd ever be. But I was thinking the other day because we were talking, you know, and there's always this discussion who the greatest basketball player that's ever played the game. I don't really know who is. I think everybody has their own opinion, but one that I think probably falls among those greats is the man by the name of Michael Jordan. Guy was phenomenal to watch, but listen to his testimony. He said, I have missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. He said, I almost uh, lost, I have lost almost 300 games. 300. On 26 occasions, I was entrusted with the ball to make the game-winning shot, and I missed it. He says, I've failed over and over and over in my life. 
And he says, that is precisely why I succeed. See, many times we think about the failures in life. Folks, we have to get past those failures. You have to understand, look, if anyone could feel the guilt of the past, the Apostle Paul would have been right in front of the line. I don't know for sure, but they claim that he, he probably was responsible for murdering over 2,000 Christians. Maybe that figure is, it, it, maybe it should be way higher. I don't know. I just know this, that there would be a lot that would cause Paul to think about his past. Oswald Chambers said, uh, most Bible Christians met with failures and survived. He says, even when the failure was immense, those that found leadership again refused to lie in the dust and bemoan their tragedy. In fact, their failure led to a greater conception of God's grace. They came to know the God of the second chance and sometimes the third and the fourth. You know, I really believe that God, and, and I don't really talk that way, I would just put it this way, that God will get, continue to give us another chance. He'll continue to give us another chance. I love the Old Testament passage where the Bible talks about the potter and the clay. He didn't throw that clay away. I love the passage. Here's what the Bible says. He made it again another vessel. Try that sometimes. I'm, again, I'm not a pottery expert, but I had a friend whose grandma, when I was growing up, had a, had a kiln and did some ceramics and some pottery, and we always went in there. Of course, we a lot of times got into trouble because we were doing things we weren't supposed to be doing, but, but, uh, but uh, while we were there, I learned some things about it. One thing I learned is, is that once that pottery, once that clay has been, has been baked, has gone through that kiln, that the only thing you can do to it is admire it or break it. But if it's broken, the only thing you can try to do is glue it back together. It'll never be the same again. But God can take a life that's broken, and he can make it again another vessel. I think Paul's life is a testimony. Some of you in this auditorium tonight, your life is a life that is a testimony of the grace of Almighty God. I see the joy here in Paul's life as he exhorts them to have a foundation of honesty, but then secondly, he exhorts them to focus on Christ. You know, it's easy to lose focus. It's easy to take our eyes off of the prize, and the Bible says in verse number 14, I press toward, notice, the mark. When I was a kid and I played sports, and one of the sports I played was baseball, I know that my, my father told me, son, when you hit the ball, run to first. Don't look at the ball. I remember that. And I remember when I was a little kid that we were on vacation and we were a couple hours from where um, our baseball game was supposed to be. And I said to my dad, you know how sports are to a little boy. And I said to my dad, hey, listen, if we go on vacation, I'm going to miss my game. My dad said, that's all right. He says, being a good father, he says, I'll drive you back for the game. So sure enough, we went on vacation. We were down there having a good time. And I said to my dad, I said, hey, are we going to the game tonight? My dad said, yep, we'll go. So we got in the car. I had my uniform on. I, I probably was, I don't know, maybe six, seven, eight years old. We got in the car and we began to drive back, long drive to the, to the game. And 
We got there, the game started, and I was playing, and I wasn't that, ever that great of a player, but I sure enjoyed going out on the field and putting the glove on, holding the bat, you know, and, and just playing, uh, playing the game. And I remember that as I got up there to bat, I was standing in the batter's box, and the pitcher pitched the ball, and that pitcher on that other team that night was a, a very wild pitcher. And the ball just began to curve right in toward me, and I couldn't get out of the way quick enough, and the ball hit me smack in the eyeball. Knocked me on the ground. I remember I laid there, you know, and my dad came out, the other coaches. They got me up off the ground, took me over, and set me down on the bench. And they, said, they, they gave me a bag of ice. I put the ice on my eye, and I'm sitting there for about two innings with this ice, bag of ice on my eye. And back then we had this rule that if you started the game and you were in the batting order, that if you, if you stepped out of the batting order, the next time it rolled around for you to bat and you couldn't bat, it was an automatic out. We were losing the game and we were down by a run or two. <clears throat> and it, it rolled around to my turn to bat. I hadn't been out on the field, still sitting on the bench, got the bag of ice. And I heard him talking. I heard my dad talking. And he says, well, he can't bat. He said, look at him. He's got a bag of ice on his eye. He probably can't even see out of his eye. And that's all I needed to hear. I put that bag of ice down on the bench, and I said, I want a bat. I'm kind of doing one of these things. My dad said, son, you can't bat. I said, I want a bat. I said, it's an out anyway. And he said, all right. So I get up there. I step up into the box. I don't remember what the count was. I just know this, that somehow, by the grace of God, my bat connected with the ball and went over the wall, and we won the game. I floated back. That was my claim to fame my entire childhood. That was the only time that I probably wasn't Casey at the bat. You know, it's like, this amazing thing is, look, determination, understanding that through God we can do all things. Folks, I'm going to tell you, back then, God wasn't even a part of my mind. It was all about life and sports. But can I tell you that when our focus is on Christ, notice He's the pattern of our life. He was the pattern. Paul says, look, I've been this and I've done that. None of that brought satisfaction in my life. But boy, when I met Jesus, everything changed. He said, I just want to be more like him. Isn't it amazing how Paul's focus, he uses the word mark. He said, look at it again in verse number 14. He says, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. This word mark, it's the word scopus. It's where we get our word scope from. Some of you guys that like guns. A lot of times you have a scope on top of that gun so that you can see whatever it is. Paul says, he says, I, I, I press toward the, the mark. It means the distant mark that he's looking at, the goal that he had in life, the end that Paul had in view. Look, it was no longer in Paul's life that it was about him, it was about Jesus. You stop and think about how many people are living day to day. What can I get out of life today? 
instead of what would the Lord have me to do? That's what Paul was looking at, the pattern of his life. His eye was fixed on the goal. He was pressing toward it. He was trying to obtain it. I love Hebrews 12 too. The Bible says, looking unto Jesus. He's the author, the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Folks, did you understand what the writer of Hebrews, and many believe it was the same writer as this book we're studying, whether it was Paul or not, I'm going to tell you something. When the Bible talks about Jesus going to the cross, it says, for the joy that was set before him. Last time I looked at the, the idea of the crucifixion, the last word in my mind is joy. But yet Jesus counted it all joy. Why did he do that? Because he loved us. For the joy that was set before him. He's our pattern in life. But Paul understood this, that he is our prize in ministry. He said, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling. Folks, if there's not a, a greater, higher call than to be a child of God to be a servant of the Most High God, to spend your life serving God. A lot of people think, well, it's just for the pastor. That's for the assistant pastors. No, that's for every Christian to serve God. Paul says, boy, listen, that's the prize. Our goal, again, should be to be conformed into the image of his son. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 2 that you walk worthy of God, who hath called you into his kingdom and his glory. I read this account and found it interesting that on the wall near the main entrance to the Alamo in San Antonio, Texas, there's a portrait, and that portrait has the following inscription, and I've been to the Alamo. I've been there. I don't remember seeing this, so maybe some folks from Texas can go check this out, but this is what I have found. It says that there's a portrait that's hanging there that has an inscription. And here's what it says. James Butler Bonham. No picture of him exists. Underneath of it, it says, This portrait is of his nephew, Major James Bonham, who is deceased, who greatly resembled his uncle. It was placed there by the family that the people may know the appearance of the man who died for their freedom. Now, why is this significant? Because with all the artist's renderings, there is no, and I hate to burst your bubble, there is no literal picture of Jesus. Nobody has a Polaroid of Jesus. I've seen the long hair. I've seen the long beards, I've seen all different color skin, I've seen this, I've seen that. That's all an artist's rendering. Some of you are like, wow, you mean that picture in my house is not real? Yes. Listen, there's no literal portrait of Jesus, but the likeness of the Son, S-O-N, capital, who makes us free can be seen in the lives of his true followers. Do people see Jesus in you? Because they should. If you tell someone you're a Christian, they ought to be able to see the Lord. 
by the very way you live your life. And this is what Paul was doing. Paul was trying to minister to people in his day the exact same way that Jesus ministered to people when he was on this earth. And how are we supposed to minister to people? The exact same way that Jesus, Jesus said, I came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. Jesus sat down with publicans and sinners, and he was criticized. Paul says, look, he says, he is the pattern of our lives, and he is the prize in ministry. So he exhorted these folks in Philippi, listen, begin with a foundation of honesty, and then he says we need to have a focus on Christ, but then notice thirdly, he exhorts them to follow the roadmap. Now that's where most of us men get in trouble, because we have a hard time following directions. Why is it that Siri and GPSs are all women's voices? Why is that? Us men, we just refuse to listen to women, so we won't follow directions. But God's given us a roadmap. And as I think about what he wants us to do, he wants us to have a collaborative goal. Look at verse 15. The Bible says in chapter 3, Let us therefore, notice Paul says, I'm pressing toward the mark for the high calling of God. And then he turns it and says, let us, therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. Paul says, just like I want for my life, he says, you ought to have the same goals. You ought to have the same determination. This isn't just something for the Apostle Paul. This is for every child of God. He says, let us be thus minded. Let us walk by the same rule. Excuse me. He says, if, any, if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Now notice he says here that you and I, we need to be cooperating together just like Paul to be more like his son Jesus that we should desire to grow spiritually. Spiritual Christians keep growing. I stepped out in the lobby today and there was a young man, he's been here in the past and I, walked, I was walking by and I, I'm finding I'm doing this more and more each day but I went like this. I went, how you doing? I almost asked him how the weather was up there. Anybody else see him? I said, how tall are you? He says, oh, I'm 6'6". Six, six. I said, are you still growing? And he, I, I don't know why he said it. He goes, nope, I'm not. I don't know how he made that determination. Now, you might not be, I find in my life, people ask me, how tall are you? I used to be six foot. <laughs> Miss Mickey, do not laugh. My pants, I don't know why, they're getting longer. I'm shrinking. If the Lord tarries is coming, I'm going to be five foot, you know? It's amazing. But look, spiritually speaking, not physically, I never want to stop growing. I don't, I don't remember. Look, I, I don't measure myself by inches. I, I want God to work in my heart. I want to continue to grow. I, I believe that you want the same thing. You wouldn't be here tonight if you didn't want the same thing. Well, some of you came for the cake, but, but, but here's the thing is, is that we have to grow. Look at Philippians 3. He begins in verse 15, let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. Do you want to grow? 
Do you want to grow and be more like Jesus? Hey, look, he continues that verse showing us how the Holy Spirit is going to guide us. The Holy Spirit's going to help us to grow. He says, if in anything you be otherwise minded, here's what's going to happen. If you don't have this same mind, if you, if you don't want to grow spiritually, the Bible says here, God shall reveal this unto you. Well, how does he do that? Remember what you got when you got saved or who you got when you got saved? The Holy Spirit of God. And remember what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit, Howbeit, when he has come, the Spirit of truth, he will guide you into all truth. The Holy Spirit's going to show you things. And by the way, when the Holy Spirit shows you, you need to do what he shows you. We need to be growing. We need to be guided by the Holy Spirit of God. Notice letter B, he talks not only about a collaborative goal, but a complete guide. In verse number 16, look at our last verse tonight. He says, nevertheless, he says, even though you haven't, you haven't been there yet, you haven't arrived, he says, whereunto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. Now this word rule is the, a synonymous word for a measuring rod. The other day, I have a, a young man that graduated from the college that was a part of a, the church out in California, and he loves building things. I've been watching as he's been posting pictures. He, he literally is building cabinets, and he's remodeling his whole kitchen. And when I say he's building cabinets, I mean he, he completely is building these cabinets from scratch. And I, I've been trying to keep those posts away from my wife so that she doesn't have any ideas, but... But nonetheless, he's been building these cabinets, and he posted the other day, he, says, and he, he said, this, this is what I came across, no wonder I've been struggling, and he actually put on the post three different tape measures that he had at his house that he had been using, and every one of those tape measures, when he lined them up, that the hash marks that give you the 16th, the 8th, the quarter, the half, all that, all of them lined up totally different. And he says, every time I'd go to measure something, I'd grab a different tape measure. But he says here in this verse, he says, let us, let us have the same rule. See, there's a lot of people today, and, and they're guiding their lives by, watch this, by the Bible some, by the internet some, by what they hear from some TV evangelist some, by what they read from some quote-unquote Christian book some, and you know what happens? Those don't all line up. They don't all match. And here's what he says. He says, you and I, we need, to, we need to have the same rule. Let us walk. We talked about that walk this morning, about Enoch's walk, but that we walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. This measuring rod, it's just like a carpenter's tape. Here it's speaking about the Word of God. It's, it's talking about a standard that's been set in stone. God's word will never change, folks. Let me say it this way. God will never change his word. Man has continued to try to change it, to water it down, to adulterate it. Hey, listen, you can think I'm old-fashioned if you want, and you can think it's a bit, I'm making a big deal out of something, but when they take the name Jesus out of the Bible and replace it with a personal pronoun, he that's a big deal. You study the Word of God, when they start messing with and tampering with the Word of God, it changes the rule. 
And that's why many people are struggling today is because they're looking at the wrong rule. It's not about a Baptist rule. It's about the standard that God gave us that is guiding our lives. And this is what Paul's telling those in Philippi from a prison. Hey, I want to encourage you. You better stick to the rules, stick to the word that God's given to us. Because somebody said, a Bible that is falling apart usually belongs to somebody who is not. Now think about that. There's a lot of Bibles that look like they looked when you first got them from the bookstore. There's still gold edging on the side of them. The pages aren't tattered. You know why? Because it hasn't been being used. I've heard, I've heard people say, well, I use the internet. Get yourself some pages. Turn the pages. I've got the internet too, and I use it from time to time. But look, I nothing love more than writing in my Bible. You know, I, I was kidding around with Pastor Chadwick here, you know, because it, it, I was trying to find out if it's a if it's a Chadwick tradition, Maylene, to leave Bibles laying around the church. And Tim said, he said, he goes, that began with me, Pastor. That's what he said. Now, you know why I knew that was true? Because I guarantee if I looked at your Bible, it's probably got all kinds of things written in it, just like my Bible does, and they become gold. Not because of what the publisher put in it, but because of what God by His Holy Spirit gave to you while you were reading it. Hey, there's nothing wrong, and it's not desecrating the Word of God to write things in your Bible. You know why? Because instead of relying on what God said to someone else by His Holy Spirit, you look in your Bible and see and be reminded of what God gave you while you were studying the rule. Paul says, look, it's so important to have the right guide. Why? Because all Scripture, not some, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it's profitable. Every last bit of it. You mean the, the, the chronicles are profitable? The genealogies are profitable? Hey, listen, this morning, how many of you learned something about Methuselah this morning and about Enoch? I would have never seen that. But I'll tell you this, it was profitable for me. Because God has given us many things in his word. Somebody said the secret to staying connected with the now is stay connected to what is eternal. There's a lot of things that go out of date, but God's word never does. The Bible, even in 2018, is still relevant. I just sold a 2000 Honda Accord the other day. I don't know what it cost brand new, but I can tell you this, I got next to nothing for it because it was a 2000 model with 238,000 miles on it. But you know, the word of God is just as valuable today as it was the day God gave it. Paul says, I just want to encourage you, stay in the race, press on. But we have to do it with humility. We have to look to the Lord. And we have to follow the word of God. Somebody wrote these words. When the valley is deep, when the mountain is steep, when the body is weary, when we stumble and fall, 
when the choices are hard, when we've been battered and scarred, when we're spent, we've spent our resources, when we've given our all, in Jesus' name, we press on. In Jesus' name, we press on. Dear Lord, with the prize clear before our eyes, we find the strength to press on. Remember, when you get into the race, you don't look at the other lanes. You just look at the finish line. And you know who's standing at that finish line? Jesus. And tonight, what the Lord's saying is, just press on. Let's pray tonight. Lord, thank you for this evening, for the Word of God, the encouragement, the exhortation from a man that probably is the most unlikely candidate because of his past. Boy, if there was anybody that we would say God could never use him, that's Paul. The man that was the least among the apostles, the least among the saints, who's the chiefest of sinners, and yet, God, you used him in a mighty way to shake this world with the gospel. Lord, I pray that you'd help us with all that we face, all the circumstances, the attacks, the way the government continues to try to obstruct our freedoms and liberties in Christ. Lord, I pray that you help us to press on. This world is not friendly towards Christians. It's not tolerant of our beliefs. But we know this, that we're on the winning side. May we keep the joy that you gave to us. May we never lose it. And tonight, Lord, as we just take a few moments, may we ask you again to renew the joy in our hearts, that we might have joy, we might rejoice in what you allow us to do. In his name we pray. Amen.